0: To those of you already supporting the show with the monthly subscription, thank you. If you're not already a supporter and you'd like to help make this show possible, tap the link in the description below. For this episode, I'd like to give a shout out to Matthew Smith for sponsoring the Marketer's Key Podcast. Thank you, Matthew, very much. This podcast really appreciates what you have given to us. And before I continue talking, guys, let's tune into the Marketer's Key Podcast. Welcome to the Marketers Key Podcast with your host, Jason Dombelli, a 16-year-old entrepreneur and speaker interviewing powerful and innovative business leaders around the world as they share their secret keys about business, marketing, and more. Now, let's tune in. tuning back to the Marketer's Key Podcast. Today I have a special guest. She's a VC. Sonia, thank you for tuning into our podcast. Thank you for your time, actually. So. Thank you. No problem. So can, for those that don't know much about you, can you share something that everybody would be interested to know?
1: Sure. So uh, I work in Venture Capital now, but prior to that I was an engineer. Mm-hmm. And then I worked for Amazon about a decade ago as a product manager. And then after Amazon, I founded my own mobile shopping startup called Picky. Uh, that was founded in 2011, and ultimately we were acquired by Retail Me Not in 2014. Uh, and then coming uh, out of the acquisition, I was running Retail Me Not's mobile team and then their larger product team. And then when that was up, I, uh, my husband and I wanted to get to Chicago because we're from the Midwest and wanted to get closer to home and I joined Pritzker Group in venture capital but I've sat on both sides of the table. All right
0: and this is what makes this podcast session special because we got a BC a lot of you small businesses have been asking been interested to see me talk to venture capitalists and know what they're interested in when they're trying to invest in your business but we'll get more down to that later on in this session. So what's like your earliest memory of entrepreneurship?
1: Yeah I feel like Even at a young age, I was trying to sell stuff. So my youngest memory is I used to take all of my mom's really expensive perfumes and lotions and mix them together and create (laughs) new combinations of (laughs) smells uh, and then try to sell them back to her, um, which didn't go over very well. But that's (laughs) probably my earliest memory is I would break into my mom's beauty cabinet, take everything, mix it together, and then try to repackage it. You
0: overpriced it?
1: Definitely. I mean, <laughs> I wasn't paying anything for cost of goods because I was right. just taking stuff from the, pan- the cabinet uh, and then, you know, probably selling it. Actually, I don't know if I was overpricing it. I was selling it for a fraction of what the perfumes actually cost. Still but, didn't
0: buy it. You know, right. still,
1: not, still no buyers.
0: So, um, I was doing a little research. I seen seeing that you went to Harvard, so, which is a school I'm interested in, mm-hmm. but because of the controversy, of people saying oh you shouldn't go to college like I'm interested in going to college but mm-hmm. what did you learn from Harvard Business School that applied in your business life now?
1: yeah so I think for me especially coming from an engineering background I got exposure to a lot of business concepts that um, made me smarter when I was starting my own business I knew how to do the accounting and to read a P&L and um, so for the financial aspects of my business I felt like I had more confidence. Um, I also think that the most important thing that you get from an Ivy League business school education is your network. And so I was able to have access when I was founding a business to a lot of people who had been founders or venture capitalists before. And so that helped me when I was deciding how to structure my business or fundraising. I think, um, in general, one of the most powerful things you have as you build your career is your networks and the people that you can get access to for advice. And that, to me, was the real value of the education. Beyond, you know, yes, you know, practically speaking, I, I learned some things about finance, but realistically, uh, the network I got was the big ass. And
0: the biggest question to Nancy. So you did a lot of interning for engineering at General Motors. Mm-hmm. What's some key values you have obtained
1: so, I think an engineering background teaches you how to problem solve more than anything because you're thrown into um, something ambiguous and you have tools, like you know formulas and you know some principles of physics for mechanical engineers, uh, but you you don't have a script as to it's not repetitive. It's like you're designing something new or you're trying to solve a new problem and then you can take your toolkit and apply it to that problem. Uh, and I think that applies to life and business in general. A lot of times, uh, as an entrepreneur, you're in a very unstructured environment where you need to solve problems and figure things out on your own, and you don't, there's no script. And so I found that the lessons you learn, practically speaking, as an engineer, especially because I was working in the advanced engineering group at General Motors, where things really didn't have a script. We were supposed to be thinking about problems that were 10 years out. Uh, that helped me immensely when yes. I went into business.
0: It's nice. So you founded Piggy, correct? Mm -hmm. And I was amazed that you guys have earned $1.1 million in revenue. And not in revenue, I'm sorry, in capital funding. Mm -hmm. So how did that go? A lot of businesses are not even able to get that amount of money. Like, how did that go? What yeah. did you
1: do to attract investors? Yeah, so we, we did a couple things. I think it helped that we had a really strong team. So myself and my co-founders, we were, all three of us, engineers. And I think that was attractive to investors because we were good at problem solving in theory, and um, in theory could build things. We also did the Techstars Accelerator Program yes, in New York, which was a great way to get in front of a lot of investors And we treated the three months that we were in the Techstars program as a way to build relationships with a bunch of people in the New York community. And I think we were able to impress people with our vision, the way we were thinking about problems, and also as we were building product. I think we did a pretty good job designing an interesting product and choosing a space. At the time, we were building an app with an iPad. And in 2011, there wasn't a lot on the iPad, as far as apps go. So we picked a space that wasn't too crowded, with an interesting thesis and an interesting team. And those three things combined to give us, you know, a pretty good path to fundraising. Perfect. So
0: what marketing techniques did you guys use to expose your business both by the news outlet and the consumers.
1: Yeah, we, we absolutely built good relationships with the press. and We had a ton of um, relationships we built through the Techstars program that we, whenever we had a product launch um, or a story or a partnership, we would go and try to market it to the press. And as a result, and, and we also found uh, there were certain moments in time where because we were in the shopping space, Holiday and Black Friday were huge for us, and so we definitely, um, around holiday season in 2012 or 13, built a gift finder app, like a app on top of our platform that used social data to help you pick gifts for the people in your life. And we're able, we were able to get a ton of press off of that. And with all of the press, we were able to parlay um, that into business relationships often. So we had a partnership with Zappos and One Kings Lane that all came out of, the, they were inbounds that came from that we were able to get um, just by building relationships with the reporters over time. I think that was something that was impressed upon me, was that you can't just ping people when you have a story. You right. need to try to build a relationship with them. Just the same way you can't just ping a VC and expect to get a check. You've got to build a relationship with a venture capitalist over time.
0: Exactly, and this is the part that we're now getting into on the VC side now. So. What do most venture capitalists look for when they're trying
1: to invest into a business? So it starts with the team, for sure, but there are also certain categories that different VCs are interested in. So for myself, I invest in consumer companies. And so um, if you have a healthcare ID or a SaaS enterprise business, I'm not going to be the right person to invest in that company. Um, And so that kind of, you start off with a team, then you care about the category, um, we spend a lot of time thinking about where there are opportunities and what markets and then we look for a combination of all three things to see that There's product market fit um, Not only with the problem, but also with the founder So I want to know personally when I'm evaluating a team that the founder is the best person to go after that problem space So if you're doing something in the education space I want to hear that you've been a teacher for some period of time and really understand the problems that teachers go through or if you're targeting um women's beauty, I want to know that you've been you know, tinkering with beauty products your entire life. And maybe you've been blogging about it and have right. a great, a huge following, and people right. think you're an expert in this space. Like I want, to, I want to back the founder that's the best founder to go after a specific problem, particularly because a consumer, a lot of people have the same idea. Um, you might get pitched 10 beauty companies in a week. Uh, the company that we decide to back is the one that has the most compelling founder. And then beyond that, there's definitely certain data that we'll look for. So we're looking for uh, revenue traction. Um, and if you're really early and it's just you're still in the idea stage and you're trying to get your first check, I think it's important to still try to create data around traction to show you your product market fit, whether that's survey data, to say you've surveyed 20 people and asked them questions in order to figure out that they really have a big problem, or ask them how much they would pay for your product, you've some data there. Like, VCs want to come out of a meeting and feel like they learned something from the entrepreneur. And if you, as a founder, are spending 24/7 thinking about your space and your problem, you should be able to educate any VC because we're not spending that much time. Um, So that's kind of like underscores like the passion and the expertise point that I made earlier. Um, And then we, we like to know that people are capital efficient. Is something that. Maybe in the Midwest we care about more than elsewhere, but we want to know that if I give you a dollar, you know how to spend it, and then you're going to also respect the dollar and spend it wisely, and not you know spend on things that are going to be don't, really don't drive the business.
0: Exactly. So when businesses are looking for specific venture firms, what should they look out for?
1: So I would start off by checking what categories that an investor's firm or a fund invests in. I would also understand what stage they invest in. So there are certain funds, like Pritzker Group, we invest at Series A, Series B, which is a little bit later stage. That's our sweet spot. Um, Whereas there are other funds that focus at the seed stage, which is a little bit earlier than we invest. And then other folks, like angel investors, who will invest in ideas that are even earlier than the seed stage. So you may have no product in market. You might just be an idea. But you want to filter down by first stage, then understand what categories an investor is interested in. And one of the best ways to figure that out is by looking at the website of a fund and looking at people's portfolios, um, as well as talking to other entrepreneurs who will be able to tell you what's going on. In fact, I found when I was a founder, the best source of finding investors was to talk to people who were in the space um, and understand, you know, as long as they weren't competitive, founders want to help other founders be successful because everybody remembers when they were getting started. <laughs> yeah. And so they want, you know, to pay it forward
0: most definitely. So you also earlier said that it's good to build a relationship with VCs long term. So express us the value you see in that.
1: Yeah, so Mark Suster actually has a great blog post called Lines Not Dots that's become somewhat, it's like a seminal blog post in the industry. Yeah, where he talks about how uh, if you think about building a relationship as being a crap, if you come in and you pitch once, and expect to come out with a check, you're just a dot. Like, I've only met you once. I have no past performance to judge you on. Um, That makes it really difficult. Versus if you come in and you meet with me once, and you talk to me before your fundraising, and you tell me this is what I'm going to do, and and, and you actually go do it. And then you come back three months, and you give me an update. Or maybe you just send me an email saying, hey, I've made all this great progress, and it looks like you're moving up and to the right. Then, okay, that's another data point in my graph for you, and then if you continue to do that over time, I have a series now, I have a line which I can say, I've met this person, they've told me what they were going to do, they went and they did it, they provided me with a bunch of data and built a relationship along the way. And so when then you finally come in and say, hey, I'm ready to raise funding, I'm more likely to take your meeting, A, and if you've demonstrated that you have really exciting traction, I might even proactively reach out to you and say, hey, I want to meet with you, because it seems like you're making really good progress, and I want to hear more.
0: I'm, that makes I think so there's sense. a
1: misconception that investors want to say no, when all investors have to deploy capital. We need to find companies to invest behind. That's, the way, that's how we make money. Right. And so we want to say yes, but we, you know, there's a lot of failure in our industry We've only one in 10 startups that raise funding will actually go on to be successful and have a meaningful financial gain. And so um, the reality of the situation is there's lots of reasons to say no. But we want, to, we want to find reasons to say yes.
0: Right. I think what business business owners get confused of is that VCs are pretty exclusive. Mm-hmm. Because even for myself, I was trying to connect with uh, so many VCs to have my podcast so people could understand the mindset and the yeah. ideology of VCs. But then, because of the exclusivity VCs have, it's much more harder for me to connect with VCs. Yeah. Because I went door to door knocking to them. But it was hard. But since I met you from the program at 1871, I had a chance to connect with you. So if businesses understand the exclusivity and they Mm -hmm. build that long-term connection, and how I reached out to you quickly after the event, Mm -hmm. if they build relationships like that, that's when they understand, oh, okay. Like. You're seeing the progress because obviously you guys need to make money from other business owners, right? But then you you guys don't want to throw in money left and right. Totally.
1: Well, and I also think it's a good point on how to reach out to a venture capitalist. So realistically, um, there are a bunch of different ways that you can reach out. The highest quality way is through another founder or someone that's in the network. So this is definitely a network. You want what's called a warm referral or a warm lead somebody who knows the VC well to make an introduction. And the better that person knows the VC, the better that introduction is going to be. So. Uh, if you know it's not somebody I know very well at all, then I'm less likely to take the introduction. What's hard is uh, uh, so you can kind of go down the relationship spectrum and say, like, OK, if this is someone that this investor has invested in, it's a really strong relationship. If this is the investor's lawyer, Decent relationship, not as strong as a founder relationship, but it's an okay relationship. If this is the investor's neighbor, you know, yeah, maybe I'll do it as a favor, but that's not a strong business introduction. Um, And then, you know, it goes all the way down to like if you email cold off of LinkedIn, that's probably the lowest way to get. Um, And I think what you did was you came in through, you met me in person, so you made a direct connection and kind of broke in, but then now you wanted to ask me for an introduction to. In the blank some other VC I'd be more likely to make that introduction Correct. and so you got to kind of figure out tap on a bunch of doors and figure out your way in and then once you get your way in then you leverage that to get you know as much as you can Most definitely.
0: so like closing the podcast by asking every person I bring in what was their secret sauce to get them where you to get where mm-hmm. to get to where you at right now so emotionally emotional well-being the business aspect like, what advice do you want to give? I just call it secret sauce, because that's my initial value of the podcast. Yeah. But what secret sauce do you have to share with all the listeners today?
1: So so it's interesting. I was reflecting on this last week. And I so I'm second generation. My parents immigrated here in the 60s, mm-hmm. 70s. And I think that um, I saw a lot of their work ethic has kind of played out in my life and you can look back on my history and you can say oh she's smart like she got into harvard she did really well on all these standardized tasks and she's done all these things um, and in reality i worked really hard uh, my parents always put education as a really important priority for me and they worked me hard like i came home from school and at third you know third grade or young you know three, four, five years old even. I was doing workbooks for math and doing all this extra credit work. And so while it might appear on the surface that I just coasted through my academic career and was able to you know, get pretty far, uh, when I was younger, I worked hard. And now that I have a daughter who's two, I think about this a lot. It's like, how do I instill the same work ethic in her around education that I think then has parlayed into other parts of my life to just work hard? Or
0: whatever I do, um, I admire you because, like, when I was just going through that, I'm like, what? Like, I respect everything you You went through a lot just to get to where you are, and that's what people gotta understand. Like you said, everyone just looks at the surface, mm-hmm. but don't they like to see the glory, but they don't like to see the hard work, right? So, patience, too, looks like was something that you had to get to where you were. And education, really, you just were everywhere, interning, working for businesses, left and right. That's really the key. So, everyone, this is Sonia. Thank you for tuning into the podcast. If you guys want to be connected with her, I'll leave you her email in the description. But thank you again, and thank you, Sonia, for being my podcast. Thank you.
1: Thank you very much. Very cool.